Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. In part two of this three-part series, we are talking about the three levers of increasing performance in your sales team. Richard, we're now into the second part of our sales performance podcast conversation. And in the previous podcast, you touched on talking about activity, activity being the first part of the ACE principle and the first lever that you can use when you are trying to improve your sales performance. Do you want us to talk us through the the ACE principle? Some years ago, I was working in Jakarta in Indonesia, and I was on, I don't know, the 23rd floor of some enormous building. And I looked out across Jakarta, it's full of building sites everywhere. And each building site had a crane in it. And I just reflected, the crane driver controls the effectiveness of the building site. And the crane driver only has three levers to pull. They can make the boom go round, they can move the hook along the boom and they can move the hook vertically. And in the same way in the world of sales, sales leaders, sales managers, sales professionals really only have three levers. And those levers are activity. Are we doing enough? Concentration of effort. Are we doing that enough with the right people in the right clients about the right things? And then effectiveness, which is are we doing it in the right way? So The ACE model simply gets you to reflect, is my issue activity? Is my issue concentration of focus? Is my issue effectiveness? And you put those three together and you've got a really simple but powerful diagnostic, a litmus test, if you like, to change the metaphor to figure out where to put your efforts. So let me just articulate about activity and why it's important. I always used to say that changing effectiveness was the best way to change the sales result. I've moved on that over the last couple of years. And probably the quickest and simplest way to change the sales results, not the only way, but perhaps the first way, is simply to change the levels of activity. I used to do quite a lot of work with uh, an insurance broker that involved a visit down to all their offices around the UK. And uh, in one, it was down in Plymouth, there was one guy who's always sat there at his desk in the corner of the general office. And I once asked the branch manager, what does he do? He said, well, nobody really knows, but we call him the pilot light. He said, the pilot light? He said, yes, because he never goes out. And his levels of activity were unbelievably low. It's actually very effective at what he did, but he made so few sales visits. All he needed to do was to get out more and the job would become so much easier. So ask yourself what you could do that during the to improve that. During this time of lockdown, I was talking to a really great sales director and he said that he, uh, over the last six months, had moved his sales team from an average of three customer contacts a week to 20 a week. Now, even if those are shorter calls, 
even if something gets lost in that increase, simply increasing the number of contacts by seven must result in an improved result. Now, I know and you know it's not just a numbers game, but it is partly a numbers game. So get the activity up. And I mentioned the iSnapshot data. We looked at 10 random iSnapshot clients, measured them over a six-month period, and we've seen an average of 207% increase in the number of recorded calls. And then that sustains over a year. That's got to have an impact on the sales result. So that's activity. And actually, just to um, kind of bandwagon on, on what you're saying there, your contact points with existing clients and with prospective clients need to be well thought through and to be able to add value. But they also need to be consistent always consistent, regular contact points. And there's a lot of stuff you can do around there that can be pseudo-automated or built into processes, which do not require three days a week just to to manage the activity levels. And this is a bit of a byway, but um, the days of single action selling to single points of contact has gone. Mm. So, you know, the data is all out there. Google talk about the zero moment of truth, all the stuff that's gone on before you meet somebody that has helped them decide whether you're worth talking to or not. They've been online, they've checked you out, they've talked to their their peers. So there's that. There's a couple of strange bits of data out there. On average, a buyer will say no five times before they say yes. Now, it's not, no, I'll never buy, but now's not the right time. We haven't got the budget. It's not the renewal date. I haven't got time. I'm going on holiday, blah de blah blah The average seller, 44% of sellers give up after the first no. That's so we've incredible. got to disconnect. So we've got to figure out a way to keep that continuity of contact, uh, a wonderful uh, Irish colleague of mine, Jim, uh, used to talk about a continuous stream of interactions that just kept things warm until somebody's ready to buy. So a bit of a byway there. But yes, we've got to automate, sophisticate that continuity of selling and cast the net wider to the average 6.8 people involved in the typical buying decision in a 500-person company. Absolutely. I did a podcast with Jason Liu from the CEO of Zywave last week, and we were talking around exactly that premise, the fact that it's no longer one person. The average uh, number of buyers involved in a decision requires a more sophisticated method of, of targeting. So just on the brings us very nicely to the C of, of ACE, which you have explained as the concentration of effort. But can you give us a bit more um, tangible examples of what that could mean to an insurance broker? Yes, absolutely. And uh, again, you know, it's good to be sectorally focused, but this applies whatever business you're in or whatever business your clients are in. So the A was activity. But if we don't have the right concentration of effort. Uh, We're just running around like headless chickens. It's all random. So concentration of effort is all about focus, focus, focus. And I think there are three elements of concentration of focus or concentration of effort. 
One, are we talking to the right clients, particularly in a changing world? Are you segmenting correctly? Are the people that you want to be, the clients or prospects you want to be talking to, the right ones? If you look at your existing client base, who are your must-keep clients? Uh, what are your criteria for focusing on the right clients? It could be about sectoral growth. It could be about financial strength. It could be about their go, their own go-to-market approach. It could be about their technical capability. It could be about their ease of doing business with. But focus on the right clients and the right prospects. The temptation is to go random in a demanding world. Rifle, not a shotgun. Absolutely. So, yeah, focus. Focus then on the right people. So it may well be that you need to stop talking to the office manager and start talking to the finance director or their accountant or the managing director uh, and change not just who you're talking to because the decision-making process has changed, and you need to, to raise the, the level of conversation from transactional to strategic. But you may well need to change the things you're talking about. So concentration of effort is about talking to the right organizations, finding the right people to talk to, and then talking about the right things. And those right things might at the moment be uh, overall business risk and exposure. It might be about what their exit strategy is. It could be about what their uh, plans are to sell into recovery and where they see their growth. Not just going in and talking about uh, the terms and conditions of a policy. So change, change the focus of what you're talking about. I think that section is incredibly important, the concentration of effort. And there's quite an intensive piece of work to do around making sure you're talking to the right people in the right organizations about the right things. And some of the work that we've done with clients is about profiling who the right organization is. And then a really intensive piece of work about pre-qualifying those organizations to make sure they match who your business aligns to in terms of a customer and the offering, but also to make sure that you know who the decision makers in that business are. And we're not talking about a generalized avatar. We're talking about really defined list of actual businesses and actual people. And once you have that information, then your next stage of work within the concentration is to develop the different sales plays for each one of those people. Because within a large organization, there might be different hooks for different departments that would bring them into your services where you can genuinely add value. So I think that concentration is really important and it's quite an intensive piece of work, but it's not an, a, a piece of work that you should be missing out. It's fundamental to your sales performance. Yeah, and I think it ties into really good work that's been done and moved very much from the marketing world into the sales world of understanding different persona and communicating with those different persona. When there's really good tools out there, um, people like Showpad, who can help you communicate the right way to the right persona. Mm, absolutely. And it just um, highlights even, I was having a really interesting conversation the other day about the culture. And one of the things that 
I'm going to call it the digital transformation, but basically the world we're going through, the digital revolution, whatever you want to call it, the changes coming to our society in a, in a business world and, and personal world at the moment are so fundamental and revolutionary. And from a business perspective, it's about culture and you almost need to develop such an ingrained sales and marketing process that it underpins what you're selling. So everything you're doing, you're thinking about how you can add value, what the solutions your customer requires. And and it just becomes the platform, the sales and marketing platform from which your services grow. And I think that's quite an interesting piece of work and and way of looking at, at something when you're looking at a traditional industry like insurance or accountants, that kind of thing. I think it's particularly relevant for anyone who's selling a professional service is, or financial service is there's a temptation to say that selling is an unfortunate, unpleasant, mucky necessity, which we all wish we didn't need to do. And if only we could go back to those days when we just relationships sold and all you needed was a good network uh, based on school, university, rugby or the pub and um, all you needed to do was just build relationship and then fill your boots and that I think there's a culture which needs to change which is that sales is not an unpleasant add-on to the business if you're customer centric it's fundamental and it's at the heart of the culture and professional selling is not There's mucky necessity. It's the lifeblood of the business when it's done well. I grant you that when it was done badly, it was very, very cheesy. And we've we've seen all the negatives of that. But do it well. And it's part of the culture of the business. And the best understand that. And I think you're absolutely right. And I would probably expand on what you've just said to incorporate the fundamental part marketing plays within sales and 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 traditionally the idea of marketing it's fluffy it's woolly it's brand and there's no return on investment or you can't identify it and i think there's a culture shift in that as well when marketing is done well it's absolutely embedded into the sales process and you can see that the flow chart where it flows in from sales into marketing out it back into sales in a properly aligned business strategy and i i think that's coming as well there's a real particularly when you think the millennial generation and what their expectation is from buying a service no. the marketing and sales alignment in presenting that solution in the way that the millennial wants is it just needs to be so clearly interlinked Yeah, I mean, there's some really good work being done on things like customer journeys, which are really important to understand how somebody gets from not being interested to being interested. We can come back to that when we look at new, new business. I think there's there's lots of lessons to be learned from software as a service, so-called SaaS, Mm -hmm. uh, that have developed a a different business model of... uh, But we'll we'll talk about that a little Mm -hmm. bit. Yeah, absolutely. So just activity, are you doing enough? concentration of effort? Is it to the right organizations in the right way? And are you effective at it? Talk us through the the E of the ACE. Thank you. Two aspects of that, individual effectiveness and then group effectiveness. So the group effectiveness is about the tools that you've got in place, 
whether that's your CRM or whatever you use for sales enablement, being wise in the tools that you invest in from a sales and marketing point of view. But you know, there's a huge choice out there. Something at last time we looked, almost 1,500 sales-related apps available on iTunes. So be careful of the shiny toys, but equally don't bury your head in the sand and just say, well, all you need is a, a somebody with a telephone and a pad of, pa- and pad of paper. So think about sales enablement and its impact on effectiveness, but also think about individual effectiveness. Uh, the mnemonic we like to use is, is tasks, which is talent. Have you got the people with the right talent, that inbuilt, inherent uh, capability? Critically, attitude, understanding the motivators and the attitudes, things like resilience, uh, things like integrity, skills, the ability to understand a client, to propose, yes, of course, to close, uh, but all sorts of skills in there. Uh, Knowledge, whether that's knowledge of a sector or knowledge of a particular product. Uh, And then importantly, the S is style, because there's something personal that that we bring to this. So looking at effectiveness in terms of talent, activity, skills, knowledge, and style is pretty good news. And that will impact on things like longevity of relationship, um, churn, uh, but also conversion ratios, average value, um, levels of trust, all sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. None of these things change in terms of the underpinning requirement, but everything changes when you're looking at selling in a, in a remote or virtual world. What advice have you got around building relationships, bringing in trust, making sure you, your ace is on point, measuring, analyzing from a remote perspective? I think there are two views on this. One is that it can't be done. I disagree. Uh, and the second is uh, there's no difference between selling remotely and selling face-to-face. I don't agree. But it's difficult, but it's manageable. And there are some definite pluses to it. So um, we've been doing over recent months, unsurprisingly, uh, almost everything we do, we've done remotely. And a lot of that has been with sales teams saying, well, how do we adapt to this remote world? Uh, and we just break things down into before, during, and after. So before, you need to change the things you're doing. Usually, the contact is colder than it was. So if you've had people who've maybe been to three webinars, that's a bit different uh, that you've chatted to them at a conference or a symposium. So you need to uh, warm them up more ahead of time. So we see people doing things like sending a video of them uh, in place, just introducing themselves for two minutes before they come. We see people using LinkedIn more to make connections. Uh, We see people sending agendas more and pre-planning. We see people organizing shorter meetings. So typically, whereas you might have had a one and a half hour face-to-face meeting, you might be having three or four 20-minute to 30-minute meetings. Um, So there's lots of stuff you can do ahead of time. During the meeting, there's stuff you can do. I personally like the increased intimacy of conversations uh, where I seem to remember a conversation we had where one of your children came in and said, Mom, I need the key to the crisp cupboard. Well, that, that's nice. Uh, I've had more conversations about people's dogs than I've ever had 
in formal meetings because the dog has wandered in. So there's something nice about being invited into people's homes. Take the intimacy, think about the the practicalities, uh, the number of uh, Zoom meetings I've had to half of people's heads or to their lights. So just think about the mechanics of it uh, and how you set it up. Think about eye contact, particularly if you're using uh, another screen. Um, make sure that you're talking to that funny green dot on the camera and not looking at your notes the whole time. So there are lots of things you can do during the meeting and afterwards, following up well, getting increased engagement. These things are important. So think about before, during and after uh, remote selling. And manage yourself as well. Think about the cadence of your day, the cadence of your week. And if you're a manager, think about how you're helping people work from home. The sales director who got his number of sales visits up from three to 20 uh, diarizes one and a half hours a day just to make contact either personally, individually or in the group with his salespeople just because he recognizes you need to be talking to people more. I'm just going to um, bandwagon on that slightly because I get asked quite a lot about how we can generate meaningful content. Content. I don't have three days a week to put aside just to writing blogs. And what I would say is you don't have to. And if you did, it'd be a waste of your time. What you need to be doing is looking at your day and how you can develop content within the the processes you're already going through. So you're talking to a client on Zoom and you've done all the, the, the pre, during and post planning that you've just discussed. If it's somebody you know well and you've got a really good relationship, can you dedicate 10 minutes of that conversation to talk about industry trends in that particular industry, about any particular business problems or you know wider market issues that are being faced? And can you say to that client do you mind if I repurpose this into a video so that I can put it on our LinkedIn, on our website to offer value and advice to people in your industry? I'm happy to give you those links so that you can also use them for your marketing purposes. That you're doing anyway. That is not something that's going to take a day out of your life where you've got to really research a particular niche problem that you need to write a blog on and then spend 20 years rewriting it as we all do. So I would just I would just say that I think Zoom, Teams, whatever you're using is really good for that, for building the relationship, but also developing your trusted advisor content. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if you see something useful on LinkedIn, and there is some really good stuff on that, I'm always delighted when people share something I've written and they and they just send a note to people, either to their whole network or to specific people, saying, thought you might find this useful. You're adding to your own credibility by sharing credible stuff. And incidentally, just to mention, don't bother liking stuff on LinkedIn. That's just ego polishing. Share it and comment on it. And that way you're adding value to your network. Not only are you adding value, but you're boosting your own algorithms within the social media platform to get more visibility for future content. So like, know, comment, share, uh, or even save the video, that kind of thing. But in terms of people wanting to comment and share, 
when you're delivering genuine value and what's more valuable than having that conversation with your client about this particular area that you are able to support in and then using that as an example, anybody else struggling with this, here's a, a three minute video that will, that will help you. So that, you know, those kind of, of ways of, and that's going back to what we were talking about earlier about the sales and marketing or, or trusted advisor or solution selling, whatever, however you want to call it, underpinning your culture. So your mindset mm. is in how can I use this to add value to more? And that's always there while you're, you're building your relationship and network. Thank you for listening to part two of our Improving Sales Performance podcast. Listen in for next week's episode where we are continuing our conversation and talking about new, new business and your existing book, the importance of strategic account management, sales management, and how to do it well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.